all you beautiful bitches and bastards, and welcome to the B&B Show, the podcast where two friends with different tastes in fiction come together to riff on each other's choice favorites. I am your host, Will Ferris, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Double Barrel Lowry. And tonight, for your listening pleasure, this is a different kind of episode here on the B&B Show. Tonight, I'm going to tell Sam a quick story, and whenever she wants, she can chime in with her thoughts, ideas, or if she has any that she wants to bring up, theories, she's more than welcome to. Um, now, I haven't told Sam anything before we pre- she pressed record about this story. <laughs> Isn't that right, Sam? And she looks nervous. And you don't That's need to true. look nervous. I, I don't have know if this no idea work. what's about to happen. Uh, so <laughs> it could be fucking anything. I don't know. I think you'll like it. I hope you will. All okay. right. So with all that out of the way, let's get into this. Okay, Sam, I want to tell you a story. Now, it's a quick one. We won't be here too long. Don't worry. I know you got your soup to eat. (laughs) But we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the past, and we're going to go all the way back to October 1985. Now, neither of us were alive at this point in time, which is sad for all the people that were. But even still, 1985 was a good year, you know? Uh, We had Back to the Future in theaters. I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner topped the charts. Uh, the Skeleton Crew by Stephen King was released to rave reviews. Uh, the Cosby Show was the top-rated sitcom in America, which is a fact that doesn't age too well today. Yeah. Uh, also, in 1985, <laughs> I am not a part of script of this episode, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, came out that year as well, which happens to be one of my favorite nightmares, even though it's not widely loved. Carry on, Will. Uh, But finally, Oklahoma won the national championship in football, which is a perfect segue for us because Oklahoma is where our story is set. We're going to go to good old Oklahoma, which is not that bad of a trip for me. A little worse for Samantha. Uh, (laughs) We're going to go just north of Norman in the OU campus to Moore, Oklahoma, the town of lions, tigers, saber cats, the Warren Theater. And if you're bored on a Friday night, drag racing down. 19th Street. It's here where I want to introduce you to Rick Lee Patterson. Rick here is a you're like you're like getting close to the screen right now. I like need to know uh, what's Rick happening. here is a thir- <laughs> Rick here is a 33-year-old math or as they say in the UK, maths teacher who is in his 6th year at Central Mid High School, now called Central Junior High. Rick is the unmarried son of Mr. and Mrs. Raymond Patterson. I don't know his mom's name. I couldn't find it. Sorry. Will's not being (laughs) anti-feminist, everybody. Rick is a Ponca City transplant who is well-liked among his colleagues and students. Rick is often quoted as saying that they are an extension of his family. Becky Burke, a colleague of Patterson, says that Rick is the shining part of just about everybody's day. He always has a smile on his face. I don't trust anything about this. First of all, anytime anybody says that about somebody, they're about to get murdered or they killed somebody. His principal, Gene Burr, is quoted as saying, he's one of those teachers who would do extra things in the classroom to help his students. His classroom is a bright and cheerful place. Kids just like to go there. So all in all, Rick, this is throwing me off. (laughs) <laughs> this is spelling some bad fucking news for me, bud. 
your face is just get is messing with me. So all in all, Rick Lee Patterson is a good guy that everyone likes and trusts to be around, which is why so many were worried on the morning of Monday, October 21st, 1985, when Rick didn't report to work. Now, attempts were made throughout the day to reach Rick at his home, but they went unanswered. <clears throat> many of his colleagues are worried. I mean, even his superintendent at the time, Jerry Ripita, was quoted as saying that this was not in his character to be absent from work without a reason given. Unfortunately, though, Rick still didn't show up to work at Central Mid-High on Tuesday or Wednesday. And with that, tension was beginning to build among Rick's colleagues and his students, who were beginning to fear the worst around campus. <laughs> uh, there was no call, no letter, no nothing from Rick to let his coworkers, students, or even his family know that he was all right. That being said, <clears throat> it wasn't until Wednesday afternoon that they received news coming from the Oklahoma City Police Department. <laughs> Is that not good? That's not good? I, I just, I, I knew we were going to get the police involved. I just knew when you were like, he was a great guy and all of his students loved him and wanted to hang out in his classroom. I was like, he is dead or he did some fucked up shit. So Rick's body, which had been positively identified by the use of x-rays, had been found on Monday morning by two deer hunters in a wooded area near Interstate 40 in Rockwell and OKC, Oklahoma City, for all you non-locals, just two and a half hours prior to him being reported missing by his father after worried colleagues had contacted him about Rick's sudden absence from work. Now, the use of x-rays is important here because Rick's body had sustained severe injury from two direct gunshot blasts to the back of the head, rendering identification by any other means impossible. I'm sorry, this man was executed? <laughs> Is that what you're fucking telling me? Point blank gunshot? Yes, yes. Yes. Ooh. But we'll get to that. Uh, that. That'll eventually be talked about. So during the initial investigation into Rick's murder, Oklahoma City Police suspected that whoever was responsible for the crime may have also stolen his car, as there was no sign of the vehicle anywhere near where the body had been found, or for that matter, in the metro area entirely. This theater, this theory was later confirmed on Thursday, October 24th, four days after his death, 1985, when his car was found abandoned in a field near Tulsa, incinerated by fire. Afterwards. Yeah, that's bad <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, the trail in Rick's murder ran cold, and for over 10 months, no new leads came in. That is, of course, until August of 1986. Uh, I was six months old at this point. You weren't alive yet. I wasn't even thought of yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's here that I'd like to introduce you quickly to Roger James Burgett, age 25. Uh, a local Oklahoma man, small criminal background stemming from a 1978 robbery with a firearm charge, which he pled guilty to. Now, Burgett was arrested in Midwest City on complaints of, you guessed it, robbery and burglary with a firearm. <laughs> as you do <laughs> right right uh while in custody using burgett's prints and those prints found on the burnt out husk of patterson's car they were able to link burgett to the scene of the crime uh-oh spaghettios oh. <laughs> burgett right uh on august 13th of, of 1986 after police pressed burgett into a confession he also implicated a Mikel patrick smith age 21 as his accomplice in the crime 
Smith, fortunately, was serving a prison sentence at the time for forgery charge earlier that year. He was moved to Oklahoma County for further investigation. (laughs) I'm going to stop you right here. I have thoughts. Typically, people that are, and I don't know his full criminal background, this 21-year-old gentleman. Typically, people that are at the scene of a murder, their background is not in forgery. (laughs) <laughs> no, I know, but that was like the only charge I could find on OSCN or ODCR before this murder happened. So what? the plot thickens, my friend. I know, that's all I'm saying. But he had been in jail numerous times. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, now, from what I've read, Smith wasn't the nicest guy by any stretch. Like Sam said, she, he was involved in the murder. Uh, he had already had several stints in and out of prison, several different offenses. Most notably, he had a 1983 attempted escape from a penitentiary, which it appears from records that he's also tried to escape more, on more than one occasion. So Homeboy doesn't like to be in jail, but winds up in jail a lot. Well, that's sort of a that's sort of the issue with jail is that you don't want to be in there, but when you try to get out, you're going back. Exactly. So initial reports state that Burgett made it appear as though he was just along for the ride in the kidnapping of Patterson. And it was in fact Smith who was in control of the whole process. So Burgett Smith painted... or Burgett were so who's the twenty one year old? Smith. Okay, so Smith is the f- asshole, apparently. Yes, yes. Uh, Burgett painted a picture of himself as a meek sidekick to the otherwise intimidating Smith. Uh, and I'll, the, the later on, you'll kind of see that might be true. It's, just wait. Uh, during Burgett's interrogation, he stated that he and Smith decided to steal a car so that they could go joyriding on the evening of Sunday, October 19th, 1985. Burgess' full story goes, <clears throat> they went to a local Oklahoma City supermarket where they saw Rick Patterson walking to his car with groceries in hand, probably stuff for his lunches for the next school week. Like, he was just getting shit to go to work, you know? Um, when Patterson, Patterson opened the door to his car, Burgett forced him at gunpoint to slide over on the passenger side while Smith got in the back seat. Burgett says that they drove to the car to a deserted area of town where the two men tied and taped Patterson's hands and mouth shut and put him in the trunk of the car. Burgett then stated that they drove east on I-40 to an isolated wooded area. When Bergen and Smith opened the trunk, the men found that Patterson had been able to free his hands in an attempt to escape. Uh, Burgett states that they retied his hands, this time behind his back. It is noted later in the investigation that at this point, Patterson was pleading for his life. Um, yeah. Oh. The duo... I know. It's, it, yeah, it's going to get a little rough. The duo forced him to stand facing up against a tree. Uh, Burgett then stated that Smith shot Patterson in the back of the head with a shotgun, his body crippled to the ground where it would be later found by the two deer hunters. The duo of Smith and Burgett feared that Patterson could still be alive and could crawl away and form authorities. So Burgett took the shotgun and fired it for a second time, ensuring that he was dead. And he shot him in the head. God bless those idiots. If you shoot somebody that close with a shotgun, they dead. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they they had to use fucking x-rays. He wasn't going to get, he wasn't getting up. Mm. So... 
Following the confession of Burgett and the beginning of the investigation into Smith's involvement in the murder, the events that led up to the trials of both Burgett and Smith are kind of murky because it's been like 36 years and the 80s wasn't great for paperwork. Um, we see a report of a Scott M. Thornton, age 22, who was arrested alongside Burgett by the Midwest City Police Department. Thornton agreed to testify against Burgett in exchange for a 25-year prison sentence for his part in the robberies outside of Oklahoma for fear of retaliation by Smith should they end up in the same prison. Thornton had indicated that Burgett had bragged about the murder during their time together. Another witness also came forward, a Donald Jean Wheeler, who spent time in prison with Smith and was quoted as saying that it was Smith who was the true mastermind behind the abduction, murder, and subsequent burning of Patterson's, of Patterson's vehicle a fact many believe was used by both perpetrators so that neither could rat on the other two investigators. <clears throat> During the lead up to the trial, to, Bur to the trial of Burgett was initially offered a consecutive six life year sentence by the prosecution if he were to give a guilty plea and testify against Smith, which Burgett was initially in favor of. of I course, guess that was probably that as opposed to the death penalty is what they were giving him. Yeah, yeah, because it was Oklahoma in the 80s. Yeah, you're going to die. Yeah, they would kill you. Um, Burgett was initially in favor of this. Um, of course, uh, that soon changed when Burgett encountered Smith in jail, after which he decided to change his mind and take the full blame for the murder, even stated that he would testify in favor of Smith. Burgett's attorney, Jim Rowan, believed that this was in due in part to Burgett being afraid of Smith and what he was capable, capable of behind closed doors. <clears throat> so, Burgett goes to trial. Uh, and with his confession already on tape, it's a pretty open and shut case. Uh, on January 23rd, 1987, a little over a year since Rick Lee Patterson's murder, Roger James Burgett pled guilty to first-degree murder. Oklahoma County... Uh, Oklahoma County District Judge John Amick wasted little time and sentenced Burgett to death for his part in the crime on March 3rd, 1987. <laughs> and after sentencing, Burgett immediately attempted to withdraw his plea, at which Judge Amick denied his request flat out. Yeah, you can't do that. No, no, no. Uh, it's noted that also between the dates of Burgett's guilty plea and his sentencing date, he testified in the murder trial of Smith. And contrary to his earlier statements to the police, Burgett testified that Smith was not even present with, when the murder occurred, once again taking the sole blame for the murder. Thankfully, though, the jurors did not believe Burgett's testimony and found Smith guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to death as well. But the story doesn't end happily there, unfortunately. Uh, in 1992, court of, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals granted a new trial to Smith due to several errors in his original trial. In 95, District Judge Nancy Coates sentenced Smith to life without parole for the murder of Patterson in a closed hearing. Coates barred all spectators from the courtroom, apparently at the request of the Department of Corrections. Smith pled guilty to first-degree murder. After his sentencing, Burgett spent the next 13 years attempting to appeal his sentence to any appellate court that would hear him. Luckily, each attempt was met in defeat. Finally, on June 8, 2000, James, Robert James Burgett, aged 39, was put to death by lethal injection. Burgett was officially pronounced dead at 12.12 a.m. on June 9th. Afterwards, Patterson's family spoke openly about the execution, stating that it brought them some closure in the nearly two-decade-long ordeal. Patterson's sister, Diane Newland, stated 
that they decorated Patterson's grave in Ponca City prior to Burgess execution. Newlin had, Newlin had spoken candidly about Smith's sentencing being reduced with the quote of, I guess one is better than none. Yeah, his sister wanted that guy to die. Yeah, no fucking kidding. So, Mikkel Smith has remained behind bars where he's serving a life sentence for the murder of Rickley Patterson. In the intermediate years, Smith has earned himself the moniker of state's most dangerous inmate. Uh, he had a special cell made for himself when he was sitting on death row in 1989 because of an altercation he had where he nearly killed a detention officer by stabbing him in the heart. Holy shit. Yeah, this dude's not good. Afterwards, it was required that five guards in riot gear were needed to escort Smith in and out of his cell. Years later, in 1993, shortly after his subsequent appeal and retrial, Smith and another inmate murdered a convicted murderer, George Stidman, in the shower after holding a guard hostage to let them in the area. <laughs> Finally, there's more, there's one more. Finally, Smith had an altercation with his cellmate in 2014, where using a bedsheet, Smith killed Timothy Hale by strangulation in what he claims was self-defense. So unhappy ending for all. What do you think of my my short story? <laughs> I so spoiler alert, listeners, we're both from Oklahoma, me and Will. Um, and so when you're from Oklahoma, you kind of feel like nothing ever happens there. Uh, so <laughs> hearing like murder stories is pretty wild when you're yeah. You know, I've I there are like two big ones really that you can pull out of your head for true crime. Uh, my thoughts are, I need to look up this Smith guy, and if his, he's the forgery guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he's a, he's apparently a scary dude you don't want to fuck with. I mean, yeah. maybe he's just one of these, <laughs> yeah. like, maybe he's just, like, actually crazy. You know what I mean? Like, just doesn't give a Might single be. fuck about another human life. Yeah. No, I, I could see that. Uh, yeah, I could understand why Burgett like decided to, to turn around his plea. Yeah. Either way, though, you're gonna die. I don't. Yeah, no <laughs> don't fucking. Can- I'm sure he. I guess he must have thought, like weighing the outcome, he could die brutally by the hand of this person he was afraid of, or he could die brutally at the hands of the death penalty. But at least it wasn't this other crazy dude taking his life yeah. and also i'm sure yeah. that he's been tied to this guy now because of what they did yeah um and so he can't really escape probably the nightmares he had about what he did and also this guy that he's forever tied to now so oh, yeah no like that's <clears throat> pretty fucked i almost feel a little bad for the burgett guy who probably was just like, yeah, let's fucking joyride around. And then probably was also like, oh, I didn't know we were going to fucking murder a dude. Um, yeah. So, and obviously I feel horrible for the Patterson family. That sounds hard. And it, like I said, it never ends well for you. If on a podcast or on TV or in a movie, if somebody's like, everybody loved him. I'm like, oh no. That's why you gotta make people hate you. Yeah. Cause then you I, won't I, get murdered. I, <laughs> I, I thought that while I was writing it. I was like, I wonder if this is too on the nose. 
I, but I, I was trying to write it to where you might think he was the killer a little bit. So I was trying to throw you off. I didn't yeah, want no, you to know. I kind of immediately got it, but it's only because I'm a, a true mm -hmm. crime viewer. Also, if I he was it. like a killer teacher, I probably would know about that. Like, uh, That's true. I would be less likely to hear about two guys going joyriding in their 20s and then just fucking murdering a teacher as opposed to a teacher that like killed his students or something fucking scary. Uh, not that this isn't fucking scary, because it is. Uh, boy, what a fucked up journey that was. 2014? Yeah, 2014 was the last. Was his, uh... Is he still alive? It... Oh, yeah. No, he's totally still alive. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, who's no, going to kill him, right? Exactly. No, that dude's he's safe and secure in prison. Hopefully, he's safe and secure in prison. Shit. Yeah, so he's no. like, how old would he be now if he was 21 in well, 1985? Well, 1985 was 36 years ago. So he's like 56. I'm calculating. He's not that old. That's not that old. But like, that is so fucking crazy to think about a guy strangling somebody to death at like 56. Well, in 2014, he was well, still, <laughs> that's so fucking crazy. Right. I know, but you know, prison fucks you up, and murder, murder, murder fucks you up. Like once you kill one person, I feel like it's less hard. I don't. Yeah, I don't maybe. Know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Not that we fucking have any idea, right? I know, right? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just. It's uh, just my opinion. I don't know if it would be as hard the second time as it was the first time. I could be wrong. I could be really wrong. He's 57, 56 or 57 today. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's still, he's still spry. He's, he's not a scary like, motherfucker. Yeah. Everybody so, uh, hold your kids close at night. Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> that does it for our special episode of the BNB show. Did we, did we do okay, Sam? I know this is our first outing on this type of episode. Yeah. I like true crime and I was, pleasantly surprised i really was unsure where we were going but i like true crime so i'm here for it okay so uh next week um we're going to continue on to some of our shorts i i have one picked out it we're going to watch it's it's part of an anthology movie it's called memories and the one that i want to watch for this podcast is called magnetic rose i okay. think you'll like it it's a little twisted sci-fi ghost type shit so i think we love that reality. Yeah. So for this special episode of the B&B podcast, I'm Will and we are out. And I am Sam right. and we are out. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, bitches. Bye.